Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. This is February, and during the month of February falls St. Valentine's Day all month long here at Viewpoint. We've been talking about romance and the Bible. With me today, my co-host Obadiah Smith. How are you? I'm great, Jim. Glad to be back again. Obadiah, so glad to have you alongside because today we're going to talk about the Bible and romance, kind of taking our cues from the observation of St. Valentine's Day earlier this month. But I'm glad you're here because I'm not sure by myself I really want to tackle this one. But today we're diving into the Bible, okay. into the deep end of the pool yes, we when are. it comes to talking about romance. And you know what? I'm going to guess it's going to be unforgettable. <laughs> unforgettable. That's what you are. Unforgettable. Like a song of love that clings to me How the thought of you does things to me Never before Has someone been born Unforgettable In every And forevermore And forevermore That's how you'll stay That's how you'll stay That's why, darling It's incredible That someone so unforgettable Thinks that I am Unforgettable too Unforgettable, that's the name of a song that Nat King Cole made famous way back, I think, in the 1950s. His daughter, Natalie Cole, has also recorded the song, and technology has blended their voices together so beautifully in that rendition. But when we hear that song, I'm reminded of how romance is so captured by popular culture. I mean, there are words and phrases there that just resonate with us. Yes. and. You know, Obadiah, you can't hear that without thinking, man, I want some of that. <laughs> I want to have a relationship that is so transcendent, so beautiful, so inspiring, so whole that it's unforgettable in the most positive way. But the words and the phrases of, of contemporary culture are not always the same words and phrases that have been used by all people in all times, but all people in all times have understood romance. Yes, they have, Jim. And they've pictured and captured the ideas and the experience maybe differently, but they're universal themes in, in the human journey. And as we think about St. Valentine's Day, and we know that Valentine was himself a real person, who we understand gave his life because of his unwillingness to surrender his commitment to Christ, or his commitment to the idea of Christian marriage, and, and the way in which it could be honored by heaven's view, and bless life here now. Valentine martyred on February 14, we believe, by the Emperor Claudius II in Rome, and that became his day, his feast day in ancient church liturgies, and still today is a springboard that the secular world has embraced, all kinds of romantic exploration, sometimes unhealthy. But as we think about that and about romance, we sometimes have a hard time bringing into parallel this innate desire, I want some of that, 
I want, I want some of that unforgettable. And our spirituality, wait, can those two exist in congruence? I mean, isn't one at war with the other? We sometimes fear, I think, sexuality when we are spiritually framed. And sometimes when we're not spiritually framed, we fear that if we become spiritual, that we're going to have to surrender some kind of sexual part of our being that's going to rob us of something that we long for. I mean, all of those are false choices. Yes, they are. And the scripture, as we're talking about romance this month, is very clear that romance, sensuality, these are things created by God. And as he made them at the dawn of time, he said, man, this is good. He looked at the whole world and every part of it. He said, this is good. And we know from Genesis even that he created humankind, male and female. He recognized that man first made, Adam, should not be alone. And so to create companionship for him, to make Adam fulfilled in this life, he created woman. I mean, from the very get-go, we have this romance going in the Garden of Eden. In a perfect world, even before sin knocks on the door, we have God setting up this relational mix between men and women created in his image, both. And that tells us from the beginning, even as it's reaffirmed throughout Scripture, that romance, sensuality, and those are not the same. Sensuality is a part of romance. That that is something healthy and righteous when surrendered into God's hand and experienced according to His way. Well, we've been talking, Obadiah, about some couples already this month who have illustrated some of the uh, highs and lows of romance as experienced in this broken world. I mean, We've talked about some winners. Yes, and some losers. <laughs> okay, so we've had Isaac and Rebecca. These people win the game of love yes. and uh, stand the test of time. Ruth and Boaz, you know what? How inspiring is their tale? But then not everybody does it so well, like... Samson and Delilah. Oh, what a mess up. I mean, those two. And we can learn even from their mistakes and have a more sure-footed walk into that journey of romance. Today, though, Obadiah, let's talk about a couple that aren't named. Okay. Perhaps in some of the most startling scripture yes, it ever is, written. Yeah. And I say startling because, again, it challenges our kind of default presumption that sensuality and righteousness don't go hand in hand. Because right here we have in a book of the Bible some pretty, pretty raw dynamic in yes. the love of a man for a woman in a very physical as well as emotionally and spiritually framed way. That book is called, of course, The Song of Solomon, or The Song of Songs. And it actually tells the story and has the conversation of two real people who are not named. Sometimes we imagine that one is Solomon. We're just not really sure. But what we do know is it is the righteous, inspired word of God that commends the love of a man for a woman and a woman for a man in the context of a romantic life together. The Song of Solomon is a book filled with imagery that's from a faraway place and a faraway time. So there are some words and phrases there that just leave us cold. I'm not sure I could say to my wife, honey, your hair is beautiful like a flock of goats. You yes. know, that's, that's just not what we would say. But if we lived in an agrarian culture of the ancient world where goats were highly valued and so on, it has a little different resonance. Yes. But if you can kind of peel back underneath that and see the intent and the true thoughts captured in this book, man, it is sizzling hot. And I say that 
carefully. It is sizzling hot in the way in which it describes this relationship between a man and a woman dedicated to each other and experiencing each other at every level of human capacity. And when you read the Song of Solomon, it's just filled with eye-popping referencing. Well, today, let's look at just a small passage out of Song of Solomon, chapter 2. These are verses from the Word of God, and they give us ideas, pointers, I think, that can help us today for anyone who's looking for romance to protect what they have, to find some they don't have, maybe repair what's been lost. Here are some ideas, but first, the Word. Obadiah, I'm going to read down in this chapter of Song of Solomon in chapter 1, a few verses, And then if you'll pick it up in chapter 2, it's actually a continuous stream with just a chapter break in the middle, all right? Mm -hmm. This is Song of Solomon chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful your eyes are like doves. And what we have here are the words of the man in this relationship, the male partner. And the scripture actually delineates that for us because it tells us the young man is speaking this. And it alternates between the young man's voice and the young woman's voice. In other parts of the book, there's a chorus that reflects a chorus of maidens. These might be the friends who are watching the romance unfold. But for now, the young man and young woman are speaking, and this man is praising this woman, his wife. She's beautiful, her eyes are like doves, and she replies in verse 16 of chapter 1, Oh, you, (laughs) you are so handsome. You are so handsome, my love, pleasing beyond words. The soft grass is our bed. Fragrant cedar branches are the beams of our house. And pleasant-smelling firs, why, they are the rafters. And the young woman continued to reply to the young man, I am the spring corcus blooming on the Sharon plain, the lily of the valley. And the young man replied, Like a lily among thistles is my darling among young women. And the young woman replied back to the man, Like the finest apple trees in the orchard is my love among other young men. I sit in his delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit. He escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. Wow. Yeah, wow. Because as you're even reading it and I'm looking at it, there is so much there that I might interpret. (laughs) There's so many things that we might even call double entendres. I mean, there's so many levels at which this speaks. It speaks in the most elemental and raw way about a sexual relationship. It also speaks about a level and depth of relationship that is beneath just the purely physical. And it speaks about something that's anointed, almost divine. And actually, the book Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, really does explore these three dimensions of love. The eros, as in Greek, from which we get in the English word erotic, about sexuality. And let's just be clear once more, the Bible is not at war with erotic conversation if that erotic conversation is framed by biblical values. And it talks about another dimension of love, the phileo in the Greek, which is a kind of family, or we would say in the English, filial love, where the relationship is not sexual, but it's still deeply bonded in the heart. And it speaks about a third and even greater dimension of love, which is the agape love, which is the Greek for the divine, that there is a dimension of love that can be experienced by humankind that is truly divine. And this passage actually captures the eros, and the phileo, and the agape. 
when we come back, let's draw some lessons from this very compelling text about how romance might be framed in the 21st century by Heaven's View. It's hard to stand on shifting sand. It's hard to shine in the shadows of the night. You can't be free if you don't reach for help and you can't love if you don't love yourself. we're talking about a concept, as we're talking about ideas that have a bit of an edge to them, I want everyone to know we're always glad to hear from you. You may have a question that you want to ask, having heard this program today, and I want you to know that 24 hours a day and seven days a week, we're by the phone, anxious and ready to hear from you. So if you have something you want to share, a question to ask, you want to explore further some of the content that we have brought forward today, give us a call. 1-800, that's toll-free, 757-VIEW, 1-800-757-8439, we're by the phone. All right, Obadiah, we just read it. 
it's hard even just to read it with a straight face because, <laughs> because we're not used to talking yes, this way. Yes, right, you're right. And yeah. yet this is the scripture. I mean, when it says, I sit in his delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit, I'm sorry, that's just not what I say ordinarily. But you know, there's something there that is righteous and good. What are the lessons of this book? First, I want to observe, I really think that this is a conversation It captures real people in real time with real words. This is a slice of life from the ancient world. It's spoken in an ancient way, but it could be taking place today. And so even as we see it as a template, as a model, as a kind of illustration for us, that God, by the wisdom of his Holy Spirit, has incorporated in the biblical canon, even as we see it as all that in an almost transcendent generic way, I think it was born in the real life experience of two people. We just don't have their names. And when I read the Song of Solomon... The most important truth that always jumps off the page at me is the power of affirmation. In this passage, as well as from the book's beginning to its end, you see this young man and this young woman praising each other. They are affirming each other. You're so beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. You're so handsome. You're like an apple tree, strong and sturdy. I mean, I don't know about you, Obadiah, but I just don't get tired of my wife praising me because there is no thing more powerful than the praise of your romantic lover, your partner, your spouse. There's nothing more compelling save the Holy Spirit himself to energize and to give you confidence than that kind of affirmation. And when you see that in this text, it's over and over again. They're always saying to the other one, whoa, you are awesome. Never forget that power of affirmation. And you know what else? That works at any age. Yes, it does, Jim. It doesn't matter how old you are or how long the relationship is. If you want your romance to be alive, you better be in the praise business. Now, that suggests another thing. Yes, it does, Jim. And it's the power of discovery, but not a discovery of looking at the old ways of how I used to say it, but discovering new ways of how I can communicate it in romance. New ways I can say it, new ways I can help you understand it, but also new things I can discover. Yes. Because you know what? As we age, we change. Absolutely. And, you know, again, I've been married 36 years, and I'll tell you what, I know some things about my wife today that I could not have even dreamed up. 30 years ago, or when we were dating, or 20 years ago, or 10 days ago. I mean, and the same thing would be said by her of me. Because in a relationship, if you're growing, you're going to discover. If you want your romance to live, you have to constantly be in the discovery zone, looking for fresh new insight, new things to discover about your spouse, your partner, that you can praise don't look for stuff to find fault. You could do that too. And I like what you said. We're discovering not just new things, but new ways to express those yes. things. Because, well, it's always good to get that letter in a new stationary envelope. I also uh, can't escape the power of sensuality in the Song of Solomon. That sensuality, when it's properly and righteously focused, is really, really powerful. These two people are deeply intertwined as they are sensually engaged. And, you know, sensuality is a word that's loaded with a lot of, you know, definition. People might hear that word and imagine many different things. But sensuality is about physicality. Now, you can be sensual in the sound of your voice. It doesn't have to be physical touch. But in this material world, there is a sensual point of connectivity. It can be the holding of hands. It can be all kinds of things in that continuum of sexual 
contact, but that has real power, and we need to understand that. Now, that's a sobering word, too, because when I say this book is hot and sizzling, it is that, and you can get burned, and you better respect the power of that sensuality in your life. Don't take it for granted, and don't be casual or cavalier with it, because it can hurt you if you don't keep it in bounds, if you don't keep the fire on the grate, if you don't live within the boundaries. It can be very powerful in a destructive way. But in the Song of Solomon, it's an affirmation of don't repress this part of yourself. Don't try and somehow bottle it up. Don't try and run away from it. No. You express it in a righteous way in a romance that is honored and sanctioned by heaven. Okay. I read as part of my reading in chapter one, yes, Obadiah, about this well, very poetic description of a house. Yes. I mean, we've got green grass as our bed. We've got the big branches of the evergreen trees as the, as the beams of our house and the sweet scent of fir tree as our rafters. Now, I have to tell you, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. This really grabs me because <laughs> I grew up with you. that. Yes. I mean, the scent of evergreen is something that I desperately respond to because I grew up with it. I mean, from my earliest memory, the scent of evergreen mixed with the salt air of Puget Sound, I mean, that takes me home. So I'm really resonating with this. This was written in a part of the world where that still also exists. You know, the cedars of Lebanon are very fragrant. The concept of these big trees forming a kind of a house, I mean, that's not just poetic in the context of the origin of this passage. But it also is poetic in the way in which their relationship is described. And all of that matters because I think God is telling us here, if you want to have romance, you've got to be conscious of the environment. You have to invest in the context. You can't just snap your fingers and think you're going to have romance because you're on an asphalt parking lot somewhere. You you need to think about, how do I set the stage? How do I create an environment that the person I love more than anyone else in the world can be drawn into a conversation, into a moment? And whether you're the male or the female in this partnership, both have a responsibility to be conscious of the environment. And when you read the Song of Solomon, you're going to see many references to the context. Romance flourishes when someone has invested in the context. And Jim, there's something else that I see as I read the scripture. There's a public affirmation. They're not afraid to express themselves in words for the public to know. She says it even in the text we read. It's so obvious that he loves me. I mean, anybody can see that this guy is crazy about me. That is so empowering. If you want a romance that really flies, be the person who publicly affirms your commitment publicly affirms the wonder of that one who is more valuable to you than anyone else. And you can see that in Song of Solomon. See how he loves her. See how she loves him. You'll see that in reading the book all the way through. The maidens are always commenting about how these two people are so deeply in love. And aren't you inspired, Obadiah, when you see that in someone else? I'm always encouraged when I see somebody else who treats their wife right. Yes. Or a wife who treats their husband right, and even though I'm not related to that relationship at all, or may not even know them, I feel better about the world when I see it. Yes, I do. And even when I look at older couples that publicly affirm each other, as far as their love and their romance, that excites me. It does. It, it inspires and excites and affirms our own journey. Our own romance is fed when we help others see that romance 
alive and well. Which brings me to the security issue because, you know, if my wife says, I am so dazzled by my husband, and she says that out loud for others to hear, or vice versa, I say the same, it creates a sense of security in the relationship. I can be free here. And this is what the world so often misses. And we talked about it last week, Obadiah. Freedom is found in the lifetime commitment of marriage. Romance and romantic freedom, sexual freedom, is found most profoundly in the lifelong commitment of marriage. And the world thinks, no, no, marriage is a box and I don't want to be trapped in it. Not so. Because the emotional security that comes, the spiritual security that comes, the intellectual security that comes from being in the company of someone you know is by your side for a lifetime, that is liberating. And that means I don't have to be afraid to be honest. Which brings us to Jesus. Yes. You know, it's interesting that in the scripture, our Lord himself pictures marriage as the emblem of his relationship to us. In fact, historically, many people have looked at Song of Solomon as a book about human relationships, but even more deeply as a book that defines our relationship to Christ. The church, the people of God are defined as the bride of Christ. The coming of the kingdom is the marriage feast of the Lamb. We are seen in union with Christ as a husband is in union with his wife. I think all of that is borne out in our romances here. And what we long for and what we should strive for is that our romance here in this world should be an emblem, an experience, just a taste of what we will have with Jesus for eternity. And I want you to know, listening today, no matter where you've been in this journey of life, that's okay. Join us right now in prayer. Our Father, in this month of romance, as marked by St. Valentine's Day, in this month when our hearts and our dreams and our fears and our hopes are all on the table, I pray that you will hear every heart cry for those who long to preserve, protect, and grow a romance that is healthy, honor them today as they surrender their lives once more into your hands. Yes, Lord. For those who long for a relationship that does not now exist, and they're lonely, and they wish they could find it, I pray, Lord, that you will honor them in this year as they surrender their lives into your hands. May they know that as they surrender their lives to you and are whole in you, they will be positioned to be whole in relationship to someone else. And similarly, Lord, for anyone who has already been in a romantic relationship that may have once been good or never has been good, but today is broken, hear their heart cry and provide healing and a way forward for them in this new year. But for all of us, wherever we are in that journey, we pray, Lord, that you will accept us humbly and by the work of Jesus on the cross, make us who we need to be. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more about romance, if you'd like to know more about Heaven's View, if you'd like to know more about God, the same God that inspired the Song of Solomon, give us a call. Dial this number toll-free, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 1-800-757-VIEW. 1-800-757-8439. We're by the phone. We want to speak with you. We want to hear from you. And Obadiah, if they don't want to call, but they do want to go online, how can they find us? www.cbhviewpoint.org And if you prefer, just write me a letter by surface mail. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint. Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But call us. 
go online or write us. Let us hear from you this month or into the month of March coming. Obadiah, thanks for walking into this deep water with me. Glad to be back again, Jim. And we thank you for tuning in also. And we pray that you'll be back with us again next week as Viewpoint continues in the year ahead, helping you to hear and to see your world from heaven's view. For all of us at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.